Outsiders is made possible by grants from the Dennis A. Hunt Fund at USC Annenberg Center for Health Journalism, Studio to Be Seattle, and Jim and Beerta Falconer of Seattle. The streets change you a lot. I'm so cold-hearted right now that I don't even know what nice this is anymore, and that's what I want to find. I want to find my hope and my dignity and my morals. And out here, you can't keep them. I have a lot of history with this place, and I'll be damned if it's going to break me. So I'm going to overcome it and get out of it, and that's all I can do. Olympia will not take my hope. <laughs> Nearly two-thirds of people who are homeless and unsheltered in America live in just three West Coast states, California, Oregon, and Washington. They're trying to survive in the woods, on the sides of highways, within sight of the glass towers that house Google, Facebook, and Amazon. This is the contradiction at the center of life on the West Coast today. From Los Angeles to San Francisco to Seattle, the most extreme form of poverty in our country is rising at a time of historic growth and prosperity. Cities are spending hundreds of millions of dollars trying to fix it, but the numbers keep rising. This is the story of one city's reckoning with homelessness. It started a little more than a year ago in Washington's capital city, Olympia a town of 50,000 people where, on a clear day, you can see the Olympic mountains rising over the water. There was a moment when homelessness suddenly worsened in Olympia, and I began to think, if we can understand what's going on here, we might be able to understand what's happening all over the West Coast. I'm Will James. This is Outsiders. That moment, it was a meeting. I don't want to be in the middle, so do you guys want to be on this side, or do you want, how about everybody come over here? I'm a reporter for KNKX Public Radio. I show up to cover it, and I don't really know what it is or what to expect. I'm standing in what used to be a parking lot, but there are no cars here. People have turned it into an encampment. If you live on the West Coast, you know what this looks like. You might have an encampment near where you live, or you see one on your way to work. There's a chance you know what it's like to live in one. This parking lot, it's now a jungle of tents and wood and tarps. On almost every patch of ground, there's a pile. Bicycle parts, plastic bags. Among the tents are these makeshift houses built out of scraps of wood and blue tarps, like monstrous versions of the forts kids build out in the woods. If you don't live on the West Coast, it might be hard to believe this is just part of the landscape. This meeting, it's happening on a clearing on the asphalt. On one side are people from the city government. On the other are people who live in this encampment and some people from other encampments and shelters nearby. They're all homeless. I meet one of them. What's your name? My name is Jessica. Jessica. Jessica May. Born and raised here for 14 years. My mom died and then I left for 15 and now I'm back. All my nightmares and everything have happened here and I've come back to conquer them and move on. It's a winter day in the Pacific Northwest. Verdant, gray, drizzly. Everything is soaked. People have hoods and hats on trying to keep dry. But it's that fine, misty rain that sits on the air and seems to come from all directions at once. 
This guy from the city starts talking, Colin DeForest. Hello. So hey, thank you all for coming out here. My name's Colin DeForest. I'm the homeless response coordinator for the city. So what we're looking at here is one of three large encampment areas that we have in, in downtown Olympia, right? So this is the Oli lot. We have what we refer to as a smart lot up there. And then we have B Avenue, which is back there behind the Union Gospel Mission. So as we've seen, the numbers of tents grow from 30 in August up to over 300 a couple weeks ago. The city's decided that we really want to do something to mitigate this issue. So what we're doing is He's describing a city in crisis. The number of people living in encampments like this has increased tenfold in just a few weeks in downtown Olympia. I've never seen homelessness escalate so quickly in any city. Within a few blocks of each other, there are multiple parking lots crammed with tents and people living in them. It falls on Colin to fix this. He's in charge of the city's response to homelessness, but he's only been on the job a few months when all this happens. He lays out a plan. He's going to create a space right here on this parking lot where people are allowed to camp. What he's talking about is essentially creating a shantytown or a refugee camp in the middle of a modern American city, and he's going to oversee it. We're giving you one week to move off of this site temporarily while we set up our mitigation site. We are then going to identify many of you individuals to come back and be residents at the new mitigation site. Mitigation site. It's jargon. Basically, it's a legal campsite. In terms of how safe it'll be and how it'll look, it's a step above the illegal camps where people live now. The city is going to provide brand new tents, porta potties, a fence for security. Colin also wants to mitigate the effects of these encampments on the rest of the city, on the people who live in houses or own businesses nearby. They're complaining, saying they don't feel safe with hundreds of people living outside in the heart of town. And Colin, he also just wants to buy some time. This is not an end product, right? This is a temporary situation, a temporary site to mitigate what we have going on, a lot of human suffering, a lot of health concerns down here. So this is a temporary thing. And from there, our goal as a city and really as a region is to identify something more stable, something more permanent for you. People stand around Colin, taking in what he's saying. What's remarkable about this meeting, the reason it sticks out in my head, is it feels like one of those moments when things could actually change. It's a coming together of two sides that have been at odds for a long time. For years, people running the city of Olympia have been in this dance with the homeless population. Tents pop up, police come and clear them away. Tents pop up somewhere else, police clear them away again. These cleanups, they're called sweeps. That's how most cities treat homelessness, at least in part, as something to be cleaned up. So if you're homeless in Olympia, you have a few choices. You can stay in a shelter, which a lot of people avoid because you're in close quarters with strangers and subject to all the things that come with that, like theft and lice. Plus, the shelters are full most nights. You can camp in the woods, out of sight, like at this one encampment nicknamed The Jungle, where you're far from civilization, but police are less likely to bother you. Or you can take your chances downtown, where you're close to the food bank, the bus station, a warming center, 
but you're constantly on the move under threat of a sweep. To the people who are unsheltered, the city is this force that's constantly driving them away, making life more difficult. Distrust has built up over the years. And now the city is saying, we're going to try something different, but you have to trust us. If you're breaking the law, we're going to have problems with you. If you're a predator, if you're doing assaultive behavior, we're going to have problems with you. But outside of that, as many of you have shown down here, through self-governance, like really relying on each other, we can make this work. So he lays all this out, and people have some questions. They want to know if they're allowed to have fires. They're not. And if they can have pets, they can't. One guy wants to know if homelessness is happening in places beyond Olympia, like he hasn't heard it's become the dominant political issue in cities all over the West Coast. Then Jessica speaks up. Well, um, tent sizes. Um, There's a lot of people out here, like in my case, I've been raped out here, and I depend on a lot of people for my safety. Jessica says she was raped, and that's why she prefers to stay in her own larger tent with multiple people. I feel safe with three other people, but they can't live with me. Two people is the max that we'll have at one site, right? So I mean, how does that, I mean... They can be in the same, they can be in another tent near you. Let's try to get you guys all together next to each other in your camps. We're going to be looking in. The other things we're From these questions, you start to get a picture of what life is like out here, what people's priorities are, and how they survive. Jessica asks if police are going to come into the mitigation site and arrest people on outstanding warrants. A police lieutenant says that's not the case. We're trying to help you out. We're trying to help you out, he says. Not trying to keep you down. Not trying to keep you down. In the middle of all this, I'm kneeling on the asphalt, trying to reach people with my microphone as they chime in. I'm thinking, is anyone actually going to go along with this? They're asking a lot of questions. They seem skeptical. Then the questions stop. There's a pause. And something happens that I've never seen happen in any interaction between a government and its homeless population. This whole project sounds like it's going to be uh, intense. I think it sounds like you guys are doing a great job. With everything you're doing so far, it's excellent. Thank you. They actually applaud. That's how this starts. Two sides coming together after doing the same thing for years and deciding they're going to try something different. To Colin, this is about more than just mitigating a problem. He knows the services that are here aren't reaching everyone. There are a lot of people out here the city's not even aware of. They're not on any kind of list, not getting any help at all. He has this whole vision in his head. He wants to build a pipeline out of homelessness in Olympia. It starts with the mitigation site. He hopes people move in, their lives get a little easier, and they learn to trust the city government. Then some might graduate to a different site he wants to set up with one-room structures called tiny houses. There, they might learn to trust even more and start meeting with caseworkers. And from there, they might climb out of homelessness altogether and end up in their own apartment, a home. We're at this pivotal moment right now where if we really take a leap of faith, we can really make a change. 
And that's what's exciting about Olympia is it's so small. If we make the right decisions, we're going to really see it. We're going to see a difference. I have no doubt that if we find what's working, this will not be a site in a year. We're not going to be standing in front of this. This will be a parking lot with cars parked in it. I have no doubt that these individuals will be somewhere, but it's not going to be in our downtown parking lot. My name is Viana Davila. I am a journalist. I've been a reporter for 17 years, and I've been covering homelessness exclusively for the last two years. Viana is the editor of a team of Seattle Times reporters called Project Homeless. They're KNKX Public Radio's partners in this series. Together, we want to find out if Olympia can make good on Colin's bet, that his small city can show progress where all these others have failed and maybe even point to a way forward. All right, you've heard about the plan in Olympia. You've heard about what's going on there. I'm just curious about what your initial reaction is. Um, You know, my initial reaction was, you know, I don't know that it's going to work exactly how Colin DeForest hopes that it will work. And why is that? I think it's partly a question. I've thought a lot more about this recently of what is the problem a city is really trying to solve? Is it getting people housing or is it controlling the situation? The situation being that we've had an explosion of homelessness and it's very visible now. And it's in our business corridors and residents can see it. And so where is the bigger push? Because... As far as I know, it's not as if there's a greater availability of housing in Olympia. A lot of the problems that the folks are experiencing are pretty deep-seated and severe. And and what are those obstacles in your experience? Um, In my experience in covering homelessness in Seattle, people who are experiencing chronic homelessness, either they've had continuous homelessness for a very long time or they've been for years in and out of homelessness— The reasons for that, it's typically not one reason. There's this knot of issues that people are dealing with. So it could be everything from addiction to mental health issues to severe trauma, abuse that they experienced as children or something traumatic that they witnessed as children. And it's usually not just one of those things. I mean, those things build upon each other. So maybe they had no drug issue prior to being homeless, but now they're using because that's a means of survival on the streets or their mental health issues have become extremely exacerbated. And when you put all those things together, those are difficult things to untie. It sounds like you're saying that a site like this could be better at containing the problem and making it less visible than actually solving the problem. But, But let me tell you how I'm thinking about this. So as you said, There are all these people out there who are unsheltered. Many of them are chronically homeless. And right now, the system does not touch them in any way. So they're not connected to any kind of service. They're not on the city's radar. I think this is a chance, at the very least, for the city to get this totally disconnected population of people into some kind of system and maybe flowing through it in some way. It might be slow, but I sort of agree with Colin that Olympia is small enough 
that they can actually get a handle on this in a way that a larger city couldn't. Sure. I mean, and it's an interesting proposition, right? But then I'm going to bring the cynic back to you, which is, okay, let's say Olympia is small enough um, that a dent can be made. What does the city of Olympia do if people keep coming into the system, if people keep arriving in Olympia? So it sounds like you're saying even if this works to some extent, the solution might be out of scale with the problem. I I think we don't know yet. Before we can know if this works, right away there's this hurdle to get over. Colin has to convince people to go along with his plan. Clapping is one thing, but people have to take the next step and actually move into the mitigation site. Volunteers are helping sign people up. One of them is Meg Martin, someone who's spent years on the front lines of fighting homelessness in Olympia and criticized city leaders when they imposed laws years ago, making it illegal to panhandle or lie down on the sidewalk. And then, despite a lot of opposition from neighbors, she helped create a shelter at a local church that lets people in regardless of whether they have drug or alcohol problems. Meg's a crusader, and she's occasionally found herself crusading against the city. Now, Colin has to win her trust as well. The city's never really been in the business of homeless services before. The city historically to this point has always dealt with encampments as a public safety enforcement issue and they're trying to take a different step now and it's taking a lot for everybody to trust that they're really in it for for the best and I believe that they are. So a lot of us want to make sure that it goes well. There's one other thing from this day that stands out in my mind. When it happens, it doesn't seem like much. Just one of those weird interactions that find you in the chaos of an encampment. But it turns out to be important later. Can I say something? A woman interrupts Meg and me as we're talking. I have my brother overhearing this a lot, and he can't walk very, very, very far and very long. His name is Duke. She tells me about Duke who's not actually her blood relative, but her street brother. She says he's sick. He's got COPD and cancer, so he can't walk very far. And his walker got busted again, so I'm trying to find him another one. You worried about him? Yeah, because he's over in that camp, and his, his tent got totally soaked over the rainy days. Nobody helping get tarps or nothing. And I think his clothes are ruined, so we're trying to figure out what to do with him. So you're trying to find him a place? No, we're just trying to find tarps for that tent because tarps, it okay. it's getting soaked totally. So I, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find him, but I'm going to try to find some if I can. There are two ways people talk about homelessness, as something happening to a place and as something happening to people. This whole meeting, I've been thinking about how much homelessness has transformed Olympia. But this conversation jolts me out of that. Suddenly, I'm thinking about how there are people out here getting sick, getting rained on. This is life and death. That's what's at stake in the city's plan. I leave the parking lot thinking about everything that can go wrong. 
wondering if any of this will work. And then something does go wrong. That's after the break. Hi, I'm Scott Greenstone. I work with Viana at Project Homeless at the Seattle Times. And our team and the team at KNKX Public Radio have been working on this project for more than a year. We went to homeless camps, spent hours with people, edited and then transcribed the tape, and then went back out and did it again and again. We wouldn't be able to do this if it weren't for our readers and listeners who support us. Here's what we're asking you to do. First, rate Outsiders on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find it. You can also subscribe to the Seattle Times and sign up to make a monthly donation to KNKX. You can find links that'll help you do that in the episode description. We really appreciate it. A couple weeks pass, and then the day comes. Colin's mitigation site opens its gates. I'm back in Olympia to cover it with one question in mind. Are people actually going to move in? Or is the distrust that's built up in Olympia going to keep them away? The parking lot is transformed. The encampment that was here is gone. In its place, the city has pitched dozens of identical gray and green tents in neat rows. And I watch as people actually start lining up to get in. Hi. Um, Hi. I'm Sarah. Hey, Sarah. They call me Tall Sarah. Tall Sarah, okay. Sarah's over six feet tall. She's wheeling her belongings from the unsanctioned camp where she lives a block away to her new spot in Cullen's site. Let me tell you a little bit about myself first, because a lot of people out here don't understand that they are actually one, one, maybe two paychecks away from being homeless. I was married for 15 years to a truck driver who made over $110,000 a year. I had everything. I had the house. I had the three cars, the cat, the kid. And now I've been out here for five years homeless because I was a mom who wasn't prepared to lose anything. And I lost everything. And right there on the street, tall Sarah unintentionally ends up illustrating the whole idea behind this mitigation site. She starts by talking about drugs. She says people think addiction causes homelessness. But she says, actually, a lot of people start using drugs once they're already homeless to cope with it. uh, Once you get out here, it's really hard to stay from um, using because you don't want your stuff stolen. You don't want to freeze to death, you know? You don't want, you know, to worry about somebody just, you know, hurting you. I can't count how many times I've been raped out here. And yes, that's a scary reality, and it happens, and a lot of us just keep our mouths shut because it's just easier not to say anything at all. So people sometimes use drugs like methamphetamine to stay awake and alert, but the drugs do something else too. They numb the bad experiences that accumulate on the streets. So it's like you wake up, you know, and you do your normal routine. Well, when we wake up, we're not trying to become any more of addicts than we already are. We're just trying to maintain some sort of normalcy. Because that's what the biggest problem is, is uh, the emotional feelings that you don't want to feel from all the trauma that you go through out here. People don't realize how hard it is. They take for granted every day just going and turning on the water in the faucet or taking a shower or being able to do your laundry. 
I've done my laundry in the last three years. I've done my laundry maybe five times. We're just trying to maintain some sort of normalcy here and trying to get through the best way we know how. That's one idea behind this mitigation site. To give people enough of a reprieve from the harshness of life out here that they can stop thinking so much about survival and start thinking more about life. As I see tall Sarah and all these other people carrying and pushing everything they own into the mitigation site, it looks promising. But something's happening two miles away in a courtroom that threatens to end this experiment before it even begins. We on the record. Court is on the record in the matter of John Doe's one through four, the city of Olympia, cause number 18-2-060. Four people with businesses right near the mitigation site are suing to stop the city from setting it up. I am John Cushman, and I represent John Doe's one through four, the plaintiffs in this matter. And they're suing anonymously, so we only know them as John Doe's. The reason they're anonymous is because they say the debates about homelessness have become so emotional, so charged in Olympia, they're afraid of vandalism, boycotts, and threats if their identities are revealed. They say the mitigation site is illegal. The city of Olympia actually has rules for setting up a site like this. And the business owners say the city government isn't following them. And they say the camps that are already here, the unsanctioned ones, are, quote, public health catastrophes, sources of drugs, prostitution, and violence that the city has allowed to fester. One John Doe writes he bought a taser to protect himself. In, in John Doe's declaration, John Doe discusses the damage to his buildings and the uh, threats to his person that he has endured as a result of this population that has burdened our downtown area these, these last number of months. And they say if the city government sets up the mitigation site, the drug use, all the rest, is only going to get worse. On the other side of this case... Good afternoon. ...is the city of Olympia. There is a homeless crisis in Olympia. That didn't start today. It's been growing and exploding over the last several months. The city did waive its own rules for setting up a camp like this, but the city's lawyer, Jeffrey Myers, says that's because this is an emergency. The city of Olympia, as the local government over this area, has a responsibility to try to do something to protect public health, to protect public safety, and to respond to this crisis of homelessness. He acknowledges the business owners have valid complaints. There really are problems downtown. But he says Colin's plan, the mitigation site, is going to help. It's designed to prevent the type of lawless conduct which Mr. Doe complains of in his declaration as creating a, quote, crime-ridden drug venue. We're trying to prevent that by having a managed site Throughout this day, I'm driving back and forth between the courthouse and the mitigation site, watching it fill up. So we're at 73 tents. We're thinking we're going to get between 105 and 110 tents total when we're full. So we have roughly 40 tents left. Just to be clear, the judge is not making a final decision on this lawsuit today. He's deciding whether the mitigation site should be shut down while the lawsuit plays out. 
But even that would be a disaster for the city, which has spent something like $75,000 setting it up. And it would be a disaster for all the people who are lugging their every possession over here and moving in. Back in the courtroom, the judge announces his decision. From what I understand now, there are people who are, um, as I am speaking, occupying these sites. He acknowledges how serious the situation is, that people have died recently on Olympia's streets. He says the city does have a responsibility to protect the health and safety of people who are homeless, but it also has to respect the rights of people affected by those decisions. So the court is going to grant the temporary restraining order. He sides with the business owners. For a moment, I'm wondering if this means the city has to dismantle the mitigation site, displace everyone who just moved in. Then the judge comes back out to clarify. He says whoever has moved in, as of right now, can stay. But the city has to stop allowing people in from this moment on. Back at the mitigation site, when the decision comes down, Colin has to break the news to a line of people that they won't be getting in that day. We were set. We had a second wave coming in at 3 o'clock today, so we had people super excited to get in at 3, waiting by the entrance, and uh, we had to turn them away. So those individuals will be back out on the streets, sleeping somewhere that is unsafe. But it turns out a lot of people have already moved in, more than anyone expected. You know, I was hoping that we'd move 30 individuals in today. So to get upwards of 100 with 73 tents is absolutely amazing. The lawsuit is a reminder. There's a whole lot more people out there Colin has to convince. People who are angry at having to see homelessness, to live and work and shop in a city where this form of poverty is suddenly so visible. But for a moment, it looks like Colin's plan actually has a chance. About 100 people living on the streets of Olympia decide to take part in Colin's experiment. 100 people willing to try something different, and trusting the city will do things differently too. But the reality of homelessness never lets you sit in moments like this for long. Is this a memorial to the late great Duke? Yes, it is. When I found out that Duke had passed away, I lost it. I had been crying and could not stop crying. I am going to miss my brother so much. Duke, who we heard was sick earlier, never made it to the mitigation site. He died 15 days after we heard about him. Brianna, the woman who was trying to help him earlier, reads a eulogy. Duke... I love you and miss you, but I will see you someday. Brother, my brother Duke. The memorial is in a back room of Olympia's Day Center, a hub of homeless life where people can warm up and get dry or take a shower. It's across the street from the unsanctioned camp where Duke lived his final weeks in a tent that was falling apart, letting in rain. Meg Martin, who we heard signing people up earlier, presides over the memorial. Uh, How many have you helped put on now? 
Oh, wow. I don't know. I don't think I can count. Dozens? Lost your family, man. You know, I cried like a baby. And, uh, you know, Duke was tough, man. Me and him had our differences at times, but you know what? No matter what. The thing about living your life in the public is that you have no moments, really, to just kind of stop and breathe and reflect. I still don't believe it. I still can't believe it. But he was a good brother, and he was a good person, and, man, he sure will be missed, man. As people talk, a picture of Duke emerges, a complicated one. He was homeless for years, an imposing figure who ruled over the encampments where he lived. He kept order, sometimes through intimidation. He also messed around on a skateboard, made people laugh. He threatened someone with a knife, one of the guys who's now here eulogizing him. He protected young, vulnerable people fiercely. You know, I don't have any family. I don't, all my family is just either dead or gone, you know, but he definitely was one of the first people in this town to be like, you're my daughter. People who knew Duke don't doubt he suffered from chronic illnesses. They saw him deteriorate, struggle to walk. But what eventually killed him, according to the coroner, was a stroke brought on by an overdose of amphetamine. Duke was complicated, and people really, really miss him. I still feel him, like, I still feel his presence around us, especially at those moments in time when I walk across the street. He was in so much pain, but he hid it very well. Yeah, he did. He was in so much pain. I know he was, daughter. And he hid it so well. That parking lot killed him. That parking lot killed him. And it almost killed me, too. She's saying homelessness killed him. Duke was 48 years old. The people the city is trying to help, the people we're going to meet in this series, they're complicated. That's what the city of Olympia is up against. All the infinite complexity that turns a person's life in one direction or another, that gets them stuck or unsticks them. Duke is one way this story could end. All these hopes and plans crushed under the weight of the damage that's already been done on Olympia's streets. It's almost like there's a ticking clock on every one of these individuals and you slowly watch them decompensate as they're out here. I think it's like a daily thing. You know, and I've seen this so many times. That it's just, they develop coping mechanisms, you know, and I think it, when you're in survival mode, it's only so long till you're sleeping in a tent next to someone who's using drugs or doing this, that, or the other until you finally go, you know what, forget it. I might, might as well. And that's really scary. A ticking clock. And yet, people still have hope they can beat it. What you've done to better yourself. Jessica, who we heard at the very beginning of this story, is one of the first people to sign up for the mitigation site. She thinks it could actually lead somewhere, like a home. So you're hoping, you put your name down, you're hoping you get into this uh, mitigation site. Do you have like a hope of how long it takes for you to get out of it? I, I would give myself a year at least, you know? Six months to a year. If you can't, then 
what is there, you know? What is the world really coming to? A year. This is the story of one year in Olympia, Washington, as the city responds to a crisis of homelessness and the people living it try to make their way home. At the beginning of this episode, we talked about a shockingly sudden rise in homelessness in downtown Olympia. In a matter of weeks, the number of tents went from around 30 to more than 300. In the next episode, we investigate the forces that led to this moment. That's episode two of Outsiders. Outsiders is a collaboration between KNKX Public Radio and the Seattle Times Project Homeless Team. This episode was reported and written by me, Will James, with Viana Davila. Our editors are Aaron Hennessy and Bethany Denton, who's also our mix engineer. Additional editing by Anna Sussman. Our music is from Blue Dot Sessions. A lot of people helped make this episode, including Karen Brown, Jonathan Martin, Scott Greenstone, and Sydney Brownstone. Thanks as well to Eric Hanberg, Anna Patrick, Adrian Flores, who designed our logo, and KNKX's director of content, Matt Martinez. Special thanks to Najib Amini. I'm Will James. Thank you for listening.